worship. Let us respond to who you are. And uh, as we behold who you are, let us be transformed into your image and likeness, Lord. Let us be your people on earth. Let us be your children. Carry your name. Carry your characteristics to the earth. And have an impact on a world that desperately needs to know who you are and what kind of God you are. And be impacted by people who, who carry your name and walk in, in who you are. And show your love to those of us around, those around us, God. So as we open your word, we ask you to move. We ask you to teach us, God. We're, without you, there's no meaning. Uh, we're here for you. People aren't here to hear me talk. We're here to hear from your word and to, to understand it. So we ask you to give us the ability to understand. Give me the ability to expound or teach upon what you're saying. We ask that what we say and do would be done in truth. And we pray for revelation, God, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see, to see ourselves um, as we really are, not to give ourselves a, a pass on our weakness or our sin, but to see the truth and to come to you in repentance to be changed um, and to be made new. So we ask you to move, God. We ask you today to move and um, do things that have eternal impact, eternal value. We ask for lasting fruit, seeds that bear fruit and, and reproduce for generations and generations. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you have your Bible, we're going to be continuing our study in James. As Sean said, and we're in James chapter 2. So if you would, you can turn there, and we'll follow along. And I guess uh, I'll just as a recap, you know, James is a leader in the church in Jerusalem. He's a half-brother of Jesus being a son of Mary. Um, and at a time in his life, he, he didn't believe. He watched Jesus grow up. He, he was in the household. Um, he saw Jesus begin his ministry, and they often, they would come to Jesus on occasion and try to bring him home and get him to just kind of stop all the, that nonsense. But he came to believing, saving faith, and he was transformed, and he became a leader in the church. And he's writing one of the earliest books of the New Testament, and he's uh, really giving us tests. He wants us to examine our lives to test whether we are in the faith. And in the first chapter, he talks about trials. How do you respond to trials? Does it show that you have faith in God, that you trust Jesus? How do you respond to temptation? Do, does your response to temptation display uh, a saving faith in Jesus? How do you respond in hearing the word of God? Do you respond in a right way? And we're going to see today then, uh, how do we respond to other people? Uh, he's going to give us the test of Impartiality is uh, a word that you'll, you'll hear often today. So I want to start just reading that, the first verse of chapter 2. So it says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. That's the New International Version. I'll read to you the Amplified as well. It kind of expands on the language. It'll take a word, it might put it in parentheses or brackets to expand our understanding, but it's usually a more wordy uh, translation that, because of that. But it says, My brethren, pay no servile regard to people, show no prejudice, no partiality, 
do not attempt to hold and practice the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, together with snobbery. That's a pretty, that's a good word there, snobbery. All right, nobody wants to be called a snob or accused of snobbery. I, I like, I think that word hits, you know, it hits different than impartiality. But he says, uh, it says, I love this, do not attempt, don't make an effort, don't attempt. You can't hold these two views. You can't uh, claim to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and hold on to uh, snobbery or partiality. You can't hold and practice the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with snobbery. You can't. They're, they're, con- they're contradictory. They're contradictory. They're, they're contrasting. They don't, they don't go together. And, you know, when we talk about God, we talk about his character. You know, we talk about his characteristics. A lot of the songs that we sing, we sing about the characteristics of God. Like what, are, what are some of those characteristics or the character of God? What, what, are we, what are words we use or think of? You can respond. Do what? The what? Love, yeah. Mercy, of course, mercy, yeah, love. We sing about faithfulness, goodness, holiness. God's holy. He's high above, right? Justice. We talk about the characteristics of God. These are all things we talk about. He's eternal. He's sovereign. He's omniscient, and he's omnipotent and omnipresent. He's, he knows all things. He can do all things. He's all places at, at once. We talk about his grace, yeah, his, his faithfulness, holiness, love, justice, uh, one of the things that we don't often, I would say, probably, probably is underrepresented in that discussion is his impartiality. But I, I would put to you that it's not underrepresented or underemphasized, actually, in the Bible. Uh, we probably read over it, or because it's maybe a word that we don't use or a concept that uh, we don't consider, we may skim over it. But I want to give you some instances, and this is not exhaustive, meaning this isn't everywhere that it is in the Bible, but if you look at Deuteronomy 10:17, it says, "For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome." Well, that's a good descriptor. He's the God of gods, the Lord of lords. He's mighty and awesome, and it follows it up with a close second defining characteristic: who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. That's part of how God chose chose. In Deuteronomy to be revealed he's awesome he's mighty he's powerful he's above all and he shows no partiality he doesn't accept bribes in 2nd Chronicles 19 7 um, judges were appointed and it, there was a, a command given and it was based on this character trait of God so if you read if you turned your Bibles you don't have to I'll read it to you 2nd Chronicles 19 7 it says now let the fear of the Lord be on you This is spoken to the judges. Judge carefully, for with the Lord our God, there is no injustice or partiality or bribery. In Acts 10, 34 and 35, when Peter went to Cornelius, we see the message of the gospel coming to the the Gentiles. And Peter began to speak. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. God does not show favoritism. He doesn't show partiality. This was even recognized by the Pharisees 
about Jesus. Okay, the Pharisees were uh, arguably Jesus' Jesus's biggest critics, you might say. They were critical of the things he was doing. They were scrutinizing the way he was acting, the things that he was saying, the, the way he was doing things, the miracles he did, if he did it on a Sabbath, the things he said, the claims he made about who he was. They scrutinized and were critical of him, uh, I'd say with some severity, right? But even the Pharisees, it says, they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and do not care what anyone thinks, for you are not partial to anyone. But you teach the way of God in truth. They, they uh, preempted their question by noticing and recognizing that Jesus was impartial. He did not show favoritism. This, was a char- this is a characteristic of who God is. So when a person, it, it often says maybe in the King James that he's not a respecter of persons. And that's, like, I'm, when I hear that, like, it doesn't mean that he doesn't respect people. It means that he doesn't look at the outward appearances and show favoritism. You know, when God made man and woman, right, he created them in the image of God. And so we have characteristics that we judge and categorize people. I think there's something in our, our nature that wants to place people in a hierarchy. You know, uh, it was kind of funny. We were, I was observing this yesterday. I went mountain biking with, uh, well, Evan and Jarvis went. So if you see Evan, he's a little bit bruised up today. Uh, that's from, uh, he popped right up. I was, I was pretty nervous. I was behind him. He flew off the trail. And like it was a steep embankment, and he was a ways down the trail, and all I could see was I couldn't see him. I could just see some trees shaking, and I didn't hear anything. Like he he fell a cup, he fell like another time, and you know he was making some groaning noises and and things like that. It was dead silent. I was I was pretty nervous, but he he bounced right back. Uh, but in the there were tons of people out yesterday. We were at Brown County. It's like a mountain biking destination. And when you ride up to another group, there's like a judgment that, like almost an instant judgment that places people in a hierarchy. Like you can look at the bike that they're riding, you can look at the helmet that they have on, you can look at the shoes that they're wearing. Ryan, is this, this is true, right? Like you can, yeah, you can like categorize somebody, you can look at their body type, you know, uh, you can look at all their gear, all their accessories, and you can, you can like, kind of categorize people and place them in a hierarchy. And there's probably, within that subculture, there's, there's a breakdown. Because some people are on e-bikes, which are really expensive, but, like, it's probably not as cool if you're not pedaling. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's kind of, maybe that's for old people, yeah, or whatever. Um, so anyway, like, I was out there in the, my mowing shoes, and I had a helmet that I got for free somewhere. You know, and I was wearing a cotton t-shirt. It wasn't, like, tight-fitting, and I, you know, like, I was pretty pretty far down the totem pole. Uh, but we do that, don't we? we? We make snap judgments. And you can look at someone, and there's all kinds of categories. And there are superficial things that people, uh, to one degree or another, maybe don't have control over. And James mainly emphasizes uh, status based on poverty, you know, wealth, economic status, poor or wealthy. We're going to see the example he gives. We categorize people, and we, we may treat them differently based on different criteria, on attractiveness, 
the way somebody's face looks. You know, we may, we may be prone, we may find ourselves prone to treating someone better who we deem is more attractive. Or IQ. We may treat people a certain way based on whether we see them as uh, having a high IQ or maybe a lower IQ. Economic status, wealth or poverty. Maybe it's fitness. We may treat somebody with, uh, you know, who's fit or muscular or in shape. We may treat them differently than we might treat someone who looks like they're out of shape or overweight or, or not well. Uh, age. We can look at people and we may, you know, in our society, uh, it seems that we tend to value prior, prior times maybe people gave respect automatically to elders and we kind of have a preference for youth, right? Youth and fitness and beauty and wealth. Those are things that we can categorize. And, and James says God doesn't do any of that. He doesn't, he's not impressed. He's not moved. He doesn't make any judgment based on any of that. He sees the value of the person because they're created in the image of God. And I think this, I know this was a characteristic of Jesus. And I think if the church could do this, if we could come with respect. Now, it doesn't mean that you're just kind of a grump to everybody, right? Like you treat everybody poorly. You know, it's not a bad thing to treat somebody with kindness, to be welcoming, to be accepting, to be generous, to be nice, to be loving. It's not saying don't do that. It's saying do that for everyone. Do not apply that favor based on partiality or favoritism on external superficial categories or characteristics. God does not do that. And I want you to know that's good news. That's good news. Our society, or parts of our society, are kind of obsessed with uh, oppression, perhaps. Like, they call it intersectionality. They want to look at all the ways that maybe uh, a person isn't in that uh, preferred category. They look at gender. And, you know, you can, you can say, we used to be able to say there's male and female. You have two genders, and one's preferred, and one's oppressed. One's an oppressor, one's oppressed. And we break down into race, we break it down into gender, we break it down into all kinds of orientation, ability, um, and there's almost a game in today's culture to be a victim. And you want to be a victim in multiple categories. Does, it, does this ring true? Do you see this is playing out? Maybe you don't see it in your, your job site, but there's an emphasis on the ways that the categories, the ways that we are oppressed, and we're actually turning it around where now there's a, a preference given, and if you, if you meet a criteria of being oppressed in certain categories. Is that, I'm not making this up, right? Do you see that? Um, and first of all, I want to say, God is the God of justice. He cares deeply about justice. When it was talking in Chronicles, it's saying to the judges, judge carefully so there's no injustice or partiality or bribery. And there are instances in our country's history where we've had judges who have judged with partiality, where justice has not been given because of bribery, because of racism, because of other sinfulness, because of partiality. And when a, when a nation has judges who judge rightly and who aren't swayed by that, there's a, a peace and a blessing that comes over the nation. We should be concerned with injustice, and we should fight it and combat it 
come against it. But just because uh, someone's in a category who were perhaps are not oppressed doesn't mean they don't deserve justice. We don't look at those appearances. We don't become obsessed with those things. We look at the heart. And everyone deserves a, a level playing field. Not looking at any outward appearances or category or criteria. And I think our society is going into an overcorrection that is creating oppression, that's creating uh, injustice, and that's really uh, not taking us to a good place. Chrissy brought up the Roe versus Wade. One of the things um, that I guess I appreciate as I've watched this unfold, there was, if you know, there was a leak, uh, the Supreme Court leaked, there was an, a draft of the opinion that they were going to release, and it was leaked out and there were people protesting at judges' homes that were going there making threats. There was uh, someone who turned himself in, said he was maybe going to go assassinate or do harm to one of the judges. And, and what I, watching that unfold, that I appreciate is those judges, in the face of threat and intimidation, they didn't waver on their decision. I think it's a good thing for uh, people to have courage and not be swayed. They, they had made their decision, and when intimidation came in, they didn't, they didn't back down. They didn't bow, and they weren't swayed by that. Uh, even threats to their lives. And, and to me, that speaks to courage. I don't know them personally or individually. I don't know their history. I'm not making uh, assessments on that, but I said that stands out to me when a person doesn't back down in the face of intimidation. And so that's a good thing. So James is speaking to the church, and he says, don't show favoritism. And he gives them uh, a for instance. Oh, I have, a, I have a, a command here in Leviticus. I didn't make the reference. This is in Leviticus. I think it's 15. Uh, but there's a command given uh, from the Lord. It says, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great. But judge your neighbor fairly. We're called just to judge fairly, not based on outward appearances, superficial characteristics, or popular criteria of the day, what seems to be in vogue, or in fashion, what society says is good or bad. We don't judge on those characteristics. We don't look at race. We don't look at nationality. We don't look at ethnicity. We don't look at uh, physical appearances. We don't look at intellectual ability or uh, social achievements. We, look, we judge fairly. We look at the heart as much as within our power to know these things. Jesus said you judge a fruit, a tree by its fruit, right? We look at the outcome, the behaviors, the actions. And it doesn't mean that we just wholesale give approval to every action that everybody does because we don't want to show partiality, but we don't make judgments based on outward appearances. James gives us, for instance, in verse 2, he says, Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? We don't want to judge with evil thoughts. They made a snap judgment. These are outsiders entering the church. You don't give the preferential treatment to the wealthy and indifference to the poor. You also don't give indifference to both. I would say. You don't just ignore them and let them just make their own way. You show 
you be welcoming, you show love, you show kindness, you show affection, you show grace, you show, uh, you show favor, but not favoritism. You don't make distinctions and parse that out. You, you freely love. You freely give grace to all. He goes on to say, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, as not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. Uh, the poor, uh, all throughout scripture, some scholars have noted that God seems to have a preferential treatment for the poor. And it's not that God shows partiality. He doesn't show favoritism. But the way that he is concerned and cares, and I pointed that out when I preached the first message of this, uh, James, for instance, when, when Paul came to him and he was going to the Gentiles, the one thing he wanted, wanted him to preach the gospel, they agreed on the message, the communication. He said the one thing they, were, they told me to do was to care for the poor, the very thing that Paul was eager to do. But by and large, the church was full of, of the poor. The early church, a defining characteristic and often it was a, a point of mockery or scorn from the outside world was that they were full of the poor, the church was full of the poor people. The believers in Christ were, were by and large, uh, from the poor. They weren't many noble. If you look at 1 Corinthians, I'm going to find that real quick. I believe it's chapter 1. Uh, Yeah, verse 26, it says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And God chose the lowly things of this world to the, and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. So in the beginning, the church was... When they came together in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, you know, there were people who had property, they had possessions, and they sold and distributed. They alleviated the needs of the poor. But by and large, the church, the, those who first received the message of the gospel were the poor. And he's saying, you remember that. You remember that, and you don't mistreat or withhold service or withhold favor, withhold love, those who are poor based on those appearances. And you don't uh, give blanket approval to those who seem that they have wealth or they have influence. He mentioned the rings on the fingers. Rings were a sign of wealth. People would often wear their wealth on their hand, even, uh, not, I guess, I don't, I don't know why, but they said not the middle finger, but they'd even have rings on their thumbs. There was even an uh, industry where you could uh, rent rings, you know, if you were going to like a, an event. You might go rent some rings to go to a wedding so that you could appear wealthier than you were. And so this is not a new thing. People want to, uh, they want to dress themselves up. They want to look maybe better than they are, or they want to impress people in those ways. And James is saying, don't be impressed by those things. Don't be turned off by those things, but don't be impressed. We're, we're above that, and we see in a way deeper than that. He actually said, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? 
And so when they would go, when they would go into an area, when the church would come to an area, it was often the influential and the rich who were at odds with the message of the gospel. Uh, even when they went to the Gentiles, there were merchants and silversmiths and, and, and wealthy people and people in authority that they would come in contact, conflict with uh, because their message um, would, would challenge their status. And so James is reminding them, don't look upon people in this way. Now what's interesting, uh, and I was, I was wrestling with, is uh, like, for example, Jesus said you judge a tree by its fruit. We do look at, we do make judgments. We do make, uh, we don't make judgments on the value of a soul, but we do make judgments on character. For example, uh, in the New Testament, there's criteria for elders. There's criteria for teachers. There's criteria for people in leadership. There's criteria for being welcomed uh, into fellowship, into the body. And we don't disregard behavior. It's not saying that we just look at everybody as, uh, as equal in the sense of they have the same, um, like their behaviors are all equal. We don't look at them as if like the outcome of their actions are all equal. We don't look at them as if we just ignore the consequences of their actions. Your actions, people, brothers and sisters, my actions, our actions have consequences to the people that we fellowship with. And it's not saying that we just don't show any partiality, like we don't even look at that. It's saying we don't make judgments on superficial things about the value of people, about their suitability to be in our presence or to be welcome into our fellowship. We love and care for them. But we do make judgments based on behavior. But we don't have an imbalanced application. We don't overlook the sins of wealthy people because they're wealthy. Or influential people because they're influential. We don't give them a pass that we don't give to the poor person. We're not harder on our judgments on one person and excuse the behavior of another maybe because they have a talent or ability that the church needs or they have resources that uh, they give in a way that the church benefits from or that they give us a status that we're, we're willing to overlook sin. We apply the standard equally. And that's what God is, who God is and what he does. He applies, he has a standard that doesn't change. And he applies it equally. So it's not saying we don't make judgments or we don't uh, look at consequences of behavior. It's saying we don't overlook it in some people. We don't apply it harsher in other situations. There's an even, uh, an even application, a level and judicious and ju just application of God's law. Does that make sense? Because I'm afraid we can look at that and we just accept everybody and we never say anything to anybody about anything. And we never make any judgments about behaviors or sins. It's not, that's not what it's saying at all. It's, it's not. And you can read through Scripture. We're held to a high standard, but that standard is applied equally to everyone. And there's mercy, brothers and sisters, in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. That's how you, that's the, the antidote to favoritism. You treat everyone, you love your neighbor as yourself, 
you apply equally this judgment. But if you show favoritism, you sin, and you're convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Now, I kind of struggled with that. You know, like, you keep the law at every point except for one, and you break the whole law. Uh, because we kind of like degrees. We like, we pick and choose our favorite uh, passages. We pick and choose our favorite laws. We, we, we have our, our pet doctrines, our pet behaviors. There's things that we think that we're good at, and so we emphasize that. We say, you know, these are areas that are really important, and these are areas that we're not going to make such a big deal, and we're going to have grace for it. Actually, when we think about it, the way to think about it is as a contract or as uh, a covenant. If I break my covenant with my wife, you know, like if I keep some of my vows, but I break some of them, I've violated my marriage covenant, have I not? I've broken, I'm guilty of breaking that covenant. And it's not like, well, I'm really good at all these other things, so I get a free pass. There's an equal and even application. And we have a tendency to emphasize some parts of the gospel, some parts of the message uh, of Jesus, some parts of the Bible, and we de-emphasize other parts. And um, James is saying that must not be. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. There's an even application. And so the truth is, and we know from Scripture, that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We all break the law, right? And what do we long for and hope for? And what do we get from the Lord Jesus Christ when we come to Him in faith? We get mercy. In verse 12, James says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. But mercy triumphs over judgment. In our dealings with one another, mercy should be the flavor. It should be the defining characteristic. You know, we talk about grace and mercy, and I've said this before, but maybe you, want, maybe you don't remember it or it's a hard thing to remember. Grace is uh, unmerited favor, right? Grace is when God gives us favor that we didn't deserve. And mercy is when he withholds punishment that we did deserve. He gives us grace and mercy. God in Jesus Christ has given us mercy. He laid on him the punishment of us all. He laid on Jesus the punishment for our sins. We are people who walk in the mercy of God. Yet if we do not return that mercy to our brothers and sisters, we, don't, we truly haven't received that mercy. He's talking about, you know, our, our interpersonal relationships here. And a lot of our conflict is we, we hold wrongs, whether real or imagined, against our brothers and sisters. And we carry that into our interactions, and we create conflict. If we give mercy, Scripture says that love covers a multitude of sins. We can give mercy. And when we give mercy, we will receive mercy. The measure that we use will be measured to us. The mercy that we give, the measure of mercy that we give, 
will be the measure that we receive. And so, brothers and sisters, I encourage you to deal with one another mercifully. Now, God has a standard, and this is a, this is a thing that, you know, relationships are complicated, aren't they? When you bring people together in an environment, whatever kind of environment that is, it gets messy and it gets complicated. And, and there's a struggle there as a church, as a family, in relationships, in a workplace. How do we hold people accountable and we hold them to the standard, hold them to the law that gives freedom, but we also give mercy? In our discipleship, in our instruction, in our care for one another, we have to strike that balance of applying judgment. Scripture tells us to judge for yourselves. He tells us to, to look at these things, to, to be judicious. We've talked about this before. We, we do need to be judicious, and we do need to look at fruit. We do need to look at behaviors. But our default is mercy. We hold people accountable. We help people become all that they can be. We help people walk through their sin and overcome. But we extend mercy. It's a, I think it's a rare community that gets it right. Would you say? It's a fine line, and it takes wisdom. Remember James told us, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask, and God will give. It takes wisdom. I, I'm sure many of you are dealing with relationships where you have conflict. You have people who've broken a standard, who violated uh, righteousness, perhaps. Violated maybe a, a relationship or a covenant. And you need wisdom to walk through that. Some of you are raising young children. It takes wisdom. You have a standard. How do you hold them to that standard without crushing them? You know, they, they, they fail. How do you give mercy? But we first look at Jesus. Uh, James began this chapter by saying, he calls us brethren or brothers and sisters, and he reminds us that we're believers in our glorious Lord Jesus. And it said, you know, you don't attempt to practice and hold our faith of our Lord Jesus Christ together with snobbery or partiality or favoritism. He's reminding us of who we are and who we follow. And we need to constantly be reminded that we are walking in the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he didn't treat us as we deserve. He, he loved us when we were yet sinners. He did not show partiality or favoritism. But he loved us. He gave us mercy. And he walks with us to become overcomers. We can go to him with repentance. So I find this, uh, you know, I'm interested in, and challenged by this scripture. And, and I, uh, I don't want to get off in the weeds and all the, the things that I think about because my mind just goes a million different places. But I believe it would be a beautiful thing if we became known just as Jesus was, as someone who doesn't show partiality. We're generous and we're kind and we're loving to all. We extend fellowship and welcome to all. Not to the rich only, not to the beautiful only, not to the, the wealthy, the fit, the wise or the, the smart, not to the, you know, the, those with status only but we welcome and extend that to all. 
We become a community of people who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have anything to do with that snobbery or that favoritism. We apply our judgment equally. We apply it equitably. We apply it everyone everyone is held to the standard. And we know that we fall short and we extend mercy in those moments. We extend a hand and we have an avenue for people to return to fellowship and to, to, to come to repentance and walk with Jesus. Are you following me? Uh, I think we need to really test ourselves and examine the ways that maybe we do this. Because um, a lot of times we'll just read something and we think, well, I know these people really do that, but maybe I don't. I don't really feel like this is a thing for me. I don't really feel like I need to work on this. But I think the Lord would have us look deep in our hearts and the way that we treat people. Be aware of these things as you interact with people this week. Maybe you, you kind of have a, a reluctance to engage with some people. Maybe at Walmart you're reluctant to engage with someone or smile at someone or, or say hello or lend a hand. Uh, or maybe you're quick to help someone else and, and you see maybe that's a good thing. You should help people. But maybe I'm quick to help this person because of external characteristics and I'm showing favoritism. And I want to apply this equally to all mankind, all people. You following me? All right, I'm going to stop there because that's where the passage ends. Um, and I just want to pray. Lord, I ask you to, to help us as we look at your word that we wouldn't be a, a church that shows favoritism. We wouldn't be people that engage in this practice. This is not who you are. You're not swayed. You're not moved. You're not impressed. And you're not also, uh, you're not turned off or you're not, not scared off or uh, deterred by people who look like they're at the bottom. And you're not influenced by those at the top. You equally apply your standard. And we know that by your standard, we all fall short and we need the, the sacrifice. We need what Jesus did on the cross. And the, we celebrate that as we take communion in these moments. And we know that we don't deserve this, but you loved us. And that empowers us to apply that to other people, that love and that mercy to others. And so we ask you to move in our midst, God, that the, the, the factor that determines our mood, the factor that determines our attitude, the factor that determines the way that we engage with the world and other people uh, the most is that you so love the world that you gave your only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. And we are moved by that to behave in the world in a way similar to the way that you did. We become like you in that way. We don't show favoritism, but we freely extend the gospel and your love and your generosity to the world around us, we pray.
Father's 